Welcome to Virtual Economy, a podcast about the business of games for the rest of us. We're your hosts. I'm Michael Futter. And I'm Amanda Farrow. On most episodes, we bring you analysis of the biggest business beats in video gaming news. But today, we have a bonus episode. We are tackling the subject of branding and rebranding with PDP CEO Brad Wilds. This is bonus episode seven, what to do when your brand isn't working for you anymore. Brad, thank you so, so much for joining us today. I am so excited to have this conversation. We have Thanks for been, having me. We've been so psyched to chat with you ever since we went and we saw the new Vitrix stuff that was at um, New York Comic Con. We're like, okay, we have to have this conversation. Wonderful. So um, real quickly, I want to set the table here. Obviously, Brad is CEO of PDP, formerly general manager and senior vice president for Razor's global systems business. You also work for Microsoft and Activision Blizzard and Mattel. And I'm very interested in jumping into that. But I do want to kind of set the table a little bit more. Like Manda said, we went and we saw some of the new products uh, right around New York Comic Con. Uh, the BFG Pro, which is the customizable and the modifiable gamepad uh, for PlayStation 4, 5, and PC. Fantastic! She's I was, a beaut. Yeah, She's I was a per- beaut. particularly enamored with the uh, the fight pad module that you can just drop in there and have six buttons right on the face. That thing is great. And then um, cool. I got my hands on, and I'm salivating over uh, the fight stick. That that gorgeous bur- purple purple FS, right? Burple. Yeah, the pro FS, the purple, the purple fight stick, which is absolutely gorgeous. Um, right before we moved earlier this year. I was getting our youngest in on uh, on fighting games, and she was she's very eager to get back and kick my butt a little bit. So, uh, so to start this off, we'll start it off like we do every interview. Brad, can you tell us a little bit more about where you've been, uh, those formative moments in your career that have led you to where you are today? Sure. Well, first and foremost, thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to to be with you, Mike and Amanda. I'm excited. So. Wow, I don't, I don't know. This is a two-hour podcast, right? So we can go back to the origin <laughs> of uh, my gaming career. I've been around, I've been in the gaming space for a bit. You know, it's one of those situations where um, I kind of fell into it. To be honest, I mean, I was always a gamer um, coming up more in the eight-bit days, but just early in my career, I'm from the South originally, um, and had went to work for one of my first jobs actually for uh, Acclaim Entertainment in New York. So at a very young age, got hired up through a contact that had taken over the head of sales role uh, for a claim on Long Island and relocated to New York. And that's what kind of kicked off my career very much um, on the grassroots level. So I started as a sales coordinator. It was like, you know, the basically the, the gopher of the sales and marketing team across North America. And that's what kind of kicked me off in the space. And it's one of those Situations I like to to think I bring more than just you know uh, happenstance to to where I am today, but it is one of those where having been in the games business at such a relatively uh, well certainly early part of my career and relatively young age, I learned a lot along the way with with companies that were emerging at that time. So Acclaims, for many of you that may know, I mean was one of the OGs in terms of software publishing. The first game mm-hmm. I ever worked on was Mortal Kombat 2, licensed product, obviously, from Midway. I did work at Midway years later in the 2000s. 
and, and a bit of a turnaround there. So that's what kind of kicked off my career. Um, and since that time, you know, I've always really been really interested in, in scope and in, in positions and roles more than anything else and learning more uh, about different regions and geographies and how the businesses work, um, even across platforms as we've seen lots of change since that time. So that's what kind of kicked things off. That's great. That's an amazing That's- origin story, honestly. And I think I think I speak for basically everyone in gaming. We all fell into it. Like I'm 90% yeah. sure that yeah. almost everyone that works in video games was just like, I didn't think I'd be working in video games and here I am. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's when I describe it to to, you know, some younger folks on our team and even even folks that are occasionally I, I mentor a bit in, in gaming, it was for me the kind of the confluence of entertainment and um technology like that's what existed at that time if you're and i was always kind of really into music and entertainment if you're on the entertainment you didn't want to go in the music industry back in those days you may still not want to go in the music industry today but um you know for me that was the confluence it was like all right well that means games and and then over time it obviously evolved from package media to what we have today you know all the way through to, to cloud gaming so started there and then you know over the years have been you know helpful have been certainly uh, blessed and the ability to work for some of the, the larger companies, particularly on the hardware side. So mm-hmm. kind of later in my career, I was keen to to round out where I spend most of my time and to be more than just the game side of the business, but to also, you know, be on the hardware side, accessory side, the full portfolio. That's where some of the first party experience with Xbox showed up later. Um, I think you'd ask just a couple of seminal moments in my career. I can tell you one of the highlights anyway was literally setting up uh, to sell the first Xbox, not Xbox One, but the original mm. Xbox. The OG. Um, at the, the, yeah, back in, back in the um, early 2000s at the now, uh, at the time it wasn't open. We opened it a week early, the Times Square Manhattan store, uh, the flagship mm. store, the Toys R Us there. We had sold, Bill Gates came in and sold the first Xbox. That was kind of my team that, that led that. We didn't think it was going to happen. And at the last second, it all worked out and Gates sold the first Xbox at Toys R Us. So that was a big moment for us. And that's super cool. Remember the coverage, it was, you know, one of the larger, uh, I remember it space. I yeah. So, that was fun. Yeah. That's it. That's actually, that's really amazing. So what ended up bringing you over to PDP? Yeah, I think so. When you look over the course of my career, what I've what I found actually, my my father was a builder, like a, a residential builder. Um, he's still my parents, thank God, are still around. Um, but back in the day, you know, I kind of grew up in in a hardworking blue collar kind of building type household. And for me, it's kind of funny when I connect the threads throughout my career. The, the moments where I've gotten most excited across that are when I have the opportunity to build things. And that, that can mean, you know, I've done big brand launches like Xbox we talked about. Um, I was part of the leadership team at Ouya, which was a kind of the first. Um, you I was know, just about to say, I think I box. see one this on your. My, yes, I do. This is the, for those, those listening, you can't see this, but this is the kind of collector's edition we did. I keep that around. That's wild. Me of the, the pitfalls and the high times of, of startups. Um, but so, but the thread I think consistently across my career is that of building. Like, so in some cases it was from inception in some cases it was launching new brands and very large businesses like Microsoft. Mm-hmm. So for PDP, PDP was purchased by Diversus, a private equity group here in Los Angeles uh, in April of 21. And they brought me in to kind of lead some change. And that's what I get excited about. So I think with, with PDP, 
Many of your listeners probably know this. Some, I think many actually customers and gamers don't realize PDP has been around for a very long time. And I think we were formed, I know we were formed in 1990. That's some 24 years ago. Um, We've had first party partnerships in some cases approaching 20 years. I think we're almost in year 18 with Microsoft, Nintendo, which as you know, is very difficult to get a first party Mm -hmm. license from Nintendo. We've been partners with them for over 15 years, 10 years with Sony. Um, we, we enjoy great relationships with these first parties, but yet, and we're known for some, some key brands, you know, we've, we've been around long enough to where folks, you know, know about, um, certainly rock candy and our audio lines, which we brought out way back in 2013. I mean, we're almost at the decade that we've been out in these products after glow. Many don't know PDP was behind all the Disney infinity uh, non-articulating RFID characters. We did all really? that. Really? VMware. That yeah, so is it, new to me. Yeah, exactly. So people don't really, I knew it because I've been around for a bit. So I knew that PDP obviously is well known in, in the in the video game space and, and known for what I was impressed about. I promise I'm getting back to the final answer to your question, but um, was known for innovation and quality, right? What they, what they lacked in my opinion is, and continue to some degree, is really brand awareness. Like we're known for particular product lines, but we don't necessarily, we're not known um, broadly for all the work that we do. And so that excited me. The short answer is, the long answer is, you know, that's what brought me to PDP. I was excited to to be part of, you know, a a very strong basis. We have amazing um, engineering talent, which I think, uh, actually separates us materially from all of our competitors in this third-party license accessory business and that we have in-house engineering uh, who are very talented. They're the ones that, that brought the Pro BFG to market as the first you know, licensed PlayStation controller. It's not an easy, uh, accom- you know, it's not something easy that one can accomplish. So we're excited mm-hmm. about that. So all of those things, I felt like we had this really strong core base, but now it's just a, a function of kind of Redesigning, I know we'll get into a little bit of the brand discussion, um, but really a redesign, a relaunch, if you will, of the brand. And in some cases, introducing PDP to folks that may not even realize some of the products that they have in their house were from us to begin with. Mm. Like all of the Disney Infinity characters we have, apparently. Which apparently, you go. like I had no idea. Electra's items. Yeah. Amazing. Well, yeah, we do. We do have a lot of them. We like do. Disney Infinity was a big was a big hit in our household. Yeah, I Not do just love with the, fact the kids either. It's true. No, it's true. Yeah. I, I absolutely love it. Uh, it really super, interesting thing. Oh, unique. sorry. <laughs> oh, I said, yeah. I mean, it was super. I mean, to be honest with you, when I was at Activision, one of the products, that I, the product, one of the one of the primary products that brought me to Activision back in the day was Skyliner. So I worked and launched the first uh, Skyliners, which kind of kicked off that whole. Toys mm-hmm. for Life category, and it was just amazing. The design and, and thought that went into all of those games as a way to progress through the game was really innovative at the time, for sure. I, I have this little piece of me, this not-so-little piece of me, that wants to see Skylanders come back. Obviously, the toys are, are, are a tough one, but if those games could be re-released in some way, yeah. because the games themselves were absolutely fantastic, and yeah, the, the, the Bob, toy yeah. element was great. Yeah, mm-hmm. both Toys for Bob and Vicarious Visions, they both, I, it was really great once both studios were in there and pushing each other forward and, and evolving cool. w- that, that property. So that was totally really great. cool. Um, so yeah, so let's talk a little bit about this process that you went through, this rebranding process. And I think the first question is, what drove the decision to rebrand and to relaunch the brand? Yeah, so 
so as the new leadership team came, you know, on board, it was kind of apparent to us that we had these disparate products that I described earlier, right? So we had good yeah, core yeah. followings, but they serve different customer bases, which is fine. You know, and we still today, particularly in our price banding, you know, we, we apply um, or, or are applicable for different types of gamers. Um, but at the time, it just felt super divorced from, you know, one another. So you'd have um, you know, Afterglow kind of with its own aesthetic, you would have Rock Candy, which obviously looked much younger. It was cool, but kind of skewed different. The packaging was materially different. Then we had this PDP gaming brand that was kind of out there, but we weren't really doing much with it. And then all the way over here to the, you know, outskirts, the outlier piece was our Vitrix products, which, you know, we're super proud of, speaks to an entirely different gamer in many cases or use mm -hmm. cases at least sometimes same gamer plays lots of different things on different products um but they weren't kind of unified so it became evident to us you know we had this challenge of lack of brand awareness people didn't really know who pdp were and then two we didn't have kind of a unified brand look brand id something that we you know identified with and i think as important gamers and fans could identify with and they could easily see across you know, multiple products. Oh, I see there's kind of this light ID that, that, you know, transcends across all of our product lines. And over time, they'll start understanding it's all coming from the same place. And I think there's, you know, I saw this back even during the Xbox days where there's, there's a lot of benefit in this halo effect of, you know, the, from the company that has the engineering prowess and experience to bring you the world's fastest controller, literally the world's fastest controller with Gambit last year, or today's Pro BFG also makes, you know, a kick-ass 3999 rematch controller that is of great quality and fantastic value. So for us, it became very clear we needed a new rebrand. We needed to freshen up our ID. And, and there was a kind of a journey over the last 10 months, so a little bit longer, that we've been on to, to kind of achieve at least where we are today. Like we're literally right now launching all of these products we've been working very hard on. So the look, look materially it is materially different today than it was even a year ago. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was honestly when we sat down and we went through the showcase when we were at New York Comic Con and we looked at the new branding, it was like, when did this happen? You know, because everything looks entirely different. It's a very different experience. And that actually is a good segue into our next into our, our next question, which is, you know, you knew where you were, right? You knew how things functioned in the past, how the brand functioned in the past. But what was the process like deciding what the new brand identity was going sure. to be? Yeah, it's a great it's a great question. And it's, you know, you kind of have to start. At, so first of all, it's a lot of work that's gone into what you guys saw in New York. Mm -hmm. Um, literally a year, you know, we won't even get into like supply chain challenges and all the, the issues related to trying to just get regular product out, much less kind of a, we, we refreshed a hundred percent of our product line over the last year. So Herculean effort by a lot of people working long hours. Um, we're super proud of it, but at the, at the start, you know, we, we basically live with, you know, what's our one thing at the end of the day, what is PDP? What can you, you know, at the, at the end of the day, what can you count on from, from PDP? And for us, it was, you know, we, we kind of rallied around this, quote, unmatched at every level, end quote, right? So for us, it was unmatched at every level. So, you know, and that speaks to the different price bands that we operate. It speaks to the different types of uh, gamer archetype that we build products for. Um, 
we're unmatched at every level. And then it became, you know, the next logical step. We had some agency work help with this, obviously, um, also. But what is kind of the voice and tone that we want mm. to um, portray across our products? And, and as much as we can with the constraints that we have at first party, particularly in, in packaging, right? Um, how can we, you know, portray what that, that voice and tone is? And, and we, we really honed into about five or so kind of attributes. And that those are that of, um, you know, innovative or innovation. Like we, we have a history, a rich history in, in true innovation, both in product design, um, and, and even things like our, our app, which supports our Xbox products, gives a lot more functionality and, and control to our products. So innovation or innov- innovative, inclusive, right? But without kind of being corny, you know, like we want, and you'll see that represented. We also, by the way, launched a new website at the end of September, which is materially different from the ground up. But you'll just tonally see that, you know, even our, our the way we, we present our products is much more um, of a lifestyle approach. It's inclusive. You'll see that in the types of gamers represented in our creative, in our assets. Um, so that's the second one, expressive, you know, but not obnoxious, expressive tonally. We want to be um, bold, right, in our approach, um, in our expression, but without being, you know, too cocky or arrogant. So you'll see even tonally, our packaging and our product is looks completely different. Um, our ID, we changed our corporate ID and the uh, and the approach there. And then finally, you know, high performing at the end of the day, because particularly with the Vitrix line of product, we just want to make product that performs great and delivers a great gaming experience and helps gamers improve and have fun. I mean, that's that's kind of the those. So those were the first. You know, these were weeks and months of work, but to get to that, what's our one thing? And then what's that voice and tone and how can we apply that across, you know, all of our product lines? So that's what kicked things off. And I, and I think that that helps kind of explain some of what we saw at New York Comic Con and seeing that consistency across the packaging, seeing, seeing that consistency across across the brand. You mentioned um, talking about price bands, and I think that's always a tricky thing when it comes to accessories, especially. And we saw this. Um, I way back, God, like a decade now, help me. Um, I did an enormous, uh, like headset guide and I looked at in the span of a year, something like 40 different headsets from a variety of different manufacturers. And it was one of the things you start to understand, um, you know, market approach when you look at that many different products and you look you see like, okay, well I have this many from company a, and I only have this many from company B and that's very intentional especially as we talk about supply chain issues and we talk about the fact that we're heading into a global recession and we're dealing with inflation, how do you find that balance in terms of quality? And then mm-hmm. on another axis, pricing slash luxury. Right. But then also taking into the whole consideration of what's the right number of products to put into a market where you're not going to cannibalize yourself, but you're, and you're also not going to make it too confusing. It yeah. How do you, how do you reach that wide an audience without yeah. flooding the market with too many products and not understanding what's going to hit? Great question. I will answer some of it <laughs> because <laughs> we're, we are, we are, um, 
we are private and we have lots of competitors who mm-hmm. I'm sure are, are, are listeners of yours. So we have to be a little careful, but it, sure, is, it is a challenge. I mean, look, this is not, it is not for the faint of heart. And at the end of the day, we're trying to align products with, you know, lots of different age groups whose, you know, attention spans and, and interest very quickly. Right. So that's always been a challenge. It was a challenge when I work in the software space. It's certainly a challenge when you're working in the hardware space. Headsets are really interesting now and have been, as you I'm sure studied the NPD and GFK data, continuing to have a very difficult year. You know, we're coming off a couple of years where everybody loaded up on headsets, whether you need them yeah, for or home or, you know, kids, or all of that. So headsets are challenging. And I think the industry as a whole has been a bit more conservative in headsets, just in the approach to how many products you want to bring to market. What we try to do, um, well, let me back up. So when we went through kind of our brand, you know, reset, if you will, we were really focused on Gen Z and millennials, right? Because the bulk of our business happens below that $79.99, $89.99 retail. Now we have very, as you well know, high-end products on the Vitrix line, ProFS, ProBFG, et cetera. And I think you'll, you'll be excited for some announcements we'll make, you know, in early 2023 and new categories that we're looking at in that brand. So there, that, that sits there, that exists. It's a wonderful business and we, we love that, that group of folks. But what moves the needle at PDP is Gen Z and Millennial. And when you look at Gen Z and Millennial, we were very focused on what's on trend in terms of designs. What do they, you know, like and, 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 uh, where they want to, you know, kind of see similar types of uh, design aesthetics across their their gaming products. So that was kind of the beacon, if you will. So like, all right, we, you know, we want to, we we can't do everything. You also got to understand we have the complexity of first party, where you just can't do everything, right? Mm-hmm. They literally won't let you do everything. So there's some control around how many products you can actually get approved through the design process. So what we try to do is just a try to get to because most of that in those uh you know lower price band products so much of that is 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 where we're trying to you know match aesthetic that's in the marketplace today it by design limits the amount of total units you can get out so i don't know if that's a great answer to your question because it's not like an exact science but what we tried to do is just you know stay on trend with with what those core gaming demographics are. I mean, Gen Z and millennials today represent almost 100 million gamers. Mm-hmm. So that's a ton of folks out there. And, and that's kind of how we we try to to, to you know, launch and, and a, build a product portfolio. One other thing that we typically do is related to headsets is when we have a couple of key designs that we know we test all of this, by the way, also so that really helps define the process of what ultimately makes it to market those top tested designs we try to build family family of products around so you'll have a controller a matching headset and then also in many cases we do a fair amount of case business particularly Mm -hmm. on the switch platform so you'll see kind of for the products that that tested the best and and are seeing great take rates from our gamers you'll see multiple products in that same design aesthetic that also kind of helps define that product portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not easy. And, and honestly, there's a fair amount of testing and iterating that goes on as well. You launch a bunch of products. Um, so far, we've only a few weeks into our new products being set on retail shelf. 
so far, we really don't have any, you know, typically it's an ABC type of performance uh, result. We're not seeing a lot of outliers. I mean, there's clearly a couple of, of top selling products um, that we're seeing, but it's interesting. We feel pretty good about the portfolio that we've put out because there's no kind of B's or C's right now. It's all within a, you know, a hundred units or so at a particular retail in terms of sell through. So it feels like we've got it about right. But in those cases where you do have products that aren't performing well, you basically kill those as quickly as you can and then get back in the design studio. That's kind of the nature of this business. Makes I sense. mean, that's, that's the way that it has to be, right? Aesthetic changes, taste changes, trends change. And you're right. We millennials are persnickety about aesthetic. And it changes. I mean, I mean, it's natural. I think it's, it's not just those, those two, you know, kind of demographic groups. I think, you know, one of the, you probably saw this, but the fastest growing group of gamers actually in 2022 is the 45 and older, I'm sorry, 55 and older. So, I mean, it's, we're looking at that also because, you know, it's a different, you have more discretionary income that obviously aligns very well with our Vitrix line of products. So you're also, and those, you know, 55 and older, they certainly have a different design aesthetic and that yeah. can change also. So hundred um, percent is very different than my dad who's 61 and he's a gamer too. Right. Like he's mm, the whole reason why sure. I'm a gamer. Yeah. So I keep trying to RGB like, him up, but mine. he's, he's against yeah. it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> great. Fair. That's very fair. So that's actually, that's a, that's a great way to talk about, you know, kind of communicating to change perception, right? Because one of the biggest challenges, because I used to be a designer way back in the day, one of the biggest challenges with rebranding is changing the public's perception. So what has been some of the some of the challenges that you've encountered at PDP in communicating these changes to the public? And what have been some big wins? Yeah, I think, so it's a bit early for us to be hanging the mission accomplished sign yet um, in terms of big wins, but we're starting to see them. And I think we saw that play out with even um, how we had our, you know, announcement for pro BFG. I think that feels and, and look materially different than, oh, yeah. you know, PD would have done things a year or two ago. Right. So we had obviously around uh, New York comic con, as you mentioned, we have, we sat for two days kind of bringing out these unveiling, if you will, the, the new product line to folks um, that hadn't seen it. Some influencers, many, many press hadn't seen the product line and had put hands on. So that was, that was new and different. I would call that a win. We also had kind of an influencer event around San Diego Comic-Con at the same time where we brought in folks and gave them hands-on with pro BFG. That's how we're doing things differently. I think that's a more recent um, example of how we're taking product to the public, right? So Instead of just telling them how great it is, we're trying to put product in hands. This isn't unique. It's done lots. It hasn't been done at PDP because these things can get very expensive. Um, I think the challenge, as I mentioned at the top, is just lack of awareness. So the way we're trying to just to get the PDP name out there and then let our products kind of speak for themselves are, again, it's been done for the last few years, just not at PDP. We have uh, a strong influencer and partner uh, campaign that we're kicking off actually right now in the month of November that you'll start seeing, I think, more and hearing from others. Um, I think what's important, and this is you know something that I learned certainly at my time at Razor, is it has to be authentic. Like it is rare that we will pay for um, an influencer, right? What we're asking from looking 
or authentic gamers that are excited about the products and the products they can get behind are, are PDP products, right? So I think you'll see and hear a lot more about PDP from others. So that's another key initiative we have. Um, certainly the way we present our products, encourage all your listeners to check out pdp.com. It's materially different. It's easy to find and learn and then check out, which is key, but it also emotes differently than I think any of the other, certainly third-party licensed game companies out there, accessory companies out there. So that's that was another significant investment in a way that we're you know, communicating the good work that's being done and the, and the really fundamental shift in, in product this year than, than years past at PDP. I, I guess I, a corollary question to that, you know, back in the day, there was um, generally negative sentiment around third-party accessories, specifically oh, controllers. Um, you know, you went over to somebody's house and they're sitting there with their first party controller, like, you know, the, their packing controller, and they hand you whatever sure. inexpensive third-party controller their parents got because you begged yeah. them to, you know, to make sure that you had something for a friend. Does that sentiment still exist in the marketplace? How is it changing? And what have you had to do on a brand level to deal with any of that lingering sentiment that exists kind of uh, segment-wide? Absolutely. Great, great question. Yeah. I mean, I will tell you, I even had some own personal bias coming from first parties and large third parties where the business in general felt like, and it's changed a lot too, you know, to be honest with you, there's, there's really three players. I mean, there's more than three, but in, at scale, you know, there's a three to four that really are moving most of the, the categories within mm -hmm. accessory mm -hmm. business. Um, there used to be lots more. I think there's been certainly consolidation, but it certainly had this kind of commoditized feel to it. And I think that's a great question because it taps on some stuff I'd mentioned earlier in that we're just built different at PDP. You know, we have in-house engineering. We have extremely experienced product development in gaming. And our focus, in some cases, honestly, for some of our lower products, it almost to a fault, because in some cases, we may have over-designed for the price point, right? And and at the end of the day, we're, in a, we're a for-profit company, so we have to pay attention to, are we, are we building the products kind of with, with the correct cost basis for the intended MSRP? In general, we're taking that those those um, differentiated groups of folks at the company and really building value. And I think as as concerning as these economic times are, I don't know if we're some days in the inflation about to be, you know, officially in an inflationary period. Um, but we're certainly going through tough economic times. And what I know is that um, value will matter. And we do a lot to drive more value in our products. And I think um, to answer your question, it's not a secret, like there's no secret silver bullet where um, you can just say some words and then people go, oh, well, they're, they're definitely, you know, of, of high value. We have to put product in the hands of gamers. And so we'll drive value with things like the PDP app. You know, that's that's free. It comes with, with uh, the Xbox accessory line. You're able to go in and do customization, I mean, material custom, not just, you know, pretty lights, but you obviously mapping, uh, you know, buttons and triggers and, and uh, bumpers and all of that kind of work. Certainly there's a ton of customization as it relates to lighting functionality, which is cool. So we're adding, you know, more value in, the, in those ways while still trying to maintain 
uh, a competitive MSRP for where our competitors are. And it's not easy, but that's where we're trying to make a difference. And we feel like over time, people will become more comfortable with the product. And hopefully with all the brand work that we've done and redesign work, then they'll remember, oh, that was a PDP controller. It was cool. Or, hey, that's that's for sale on shelf for $39.99, $49.99. Oh, I see it's from PDP. Aren't those the guys that did $180 Pro BFG? Same company, same engineering, you know, mm. same kind of roof. So it's a it's a medium to long term game. But those are right. kind of when you think about it, that's kind of we're trying to coordinate all of these events into at the end of the day, just value for money. We feel like, you know, we we, we stand, you know, above the rest in that regard. That makes a lot of sense. And thank you for taking I know that that question wasn't in our in yeah, our pre in our prep, that. but I it kind of hit me as we were as we were talking. So thank you. It's true. Yeah. I mean it, it's like I say, I think we all carried some of that bias and some of this kind of legacy stuff too. I mean that being said, although they're first party controllers, I was gonna say, you know, there's lots of examples out there like Battle Beaver and Scuff and guys that are doing things that are super cool. Most of those are built sure. on obviously first party mm-hmm. controllers to begin with. But yeah. um anyhow, I think that I think the, the the quality level and the grand scope for the top three or four is, is materially different than it was even a decade ago. Mm-hmm. I agree. Definitely. Hundred percent, and I and I think that Mike, that was a great that was a great additional question to ask because I was thinking it as we were talking. So I love I love that. See, listeners, the- not everything not everything is planned. We're not even in the same room, and we're it's true. Sharing that's right. I can I can attest to that. <laughs> it's beautiful. You know what? Speaking of beautiful things, what's next? What's what's going to be next? Uh, yeah, what's you know, horizon? I do feel like you know the the um, I feel like we're still in very early innings with what we're trying to do at PDP. You know, so much of the last you know call it year to year and a half since the uh, since the acquisition has been heads down doing a lot of what we we've, we've talked about today. For sure. And now it's kind of like, cool, now it's all on shelf. And now it's kind of back to the blocking and tackling of making sure you're marketing product through and working with retail partners and all that, that good stuff. But again, I keep going back to it. At its core, you know, we, we are a company of innovation and invention. So with that being at our core, you can imagine we're looking at lots of things because you can apply those, those disciplines and skill sets to lots of products and categories uh, that today PDP does not participate. So I'm not prepared to make any big announcements today, unfortunately, but you can imagine that we could, we will be expanding, you know, products, particularly in the Vitrix line of, of goods. Mm-hmm. And then certainly we think there's, there's lots of opportunity. I mean, I'll give you a couple of examples, not leading to what we may do in the future, but like glow in the dark, right? Glow in the dark is not something, I mean, it's been done many, many times, but it has not, really been seen a lot in third-party accessories. We're seeing an amazing uptick in our glow-in-the-dark products. So Hmm. in that way, to illustrate like innovation, in some cases, we're not like the original, you know, idea, but we didn't, but we took a very good idea and put done it, I think, in a new and fresh way. So we look at things that may be more design innovation, but materially for next year and the year to come, I think you'll see a lot more in new categories. There's also innovation, not just in products, but in regional expansion. So there's a ton that we can do to grow our international business. We have a fairly strong European business today, but we're still uh, relatively nascent across Asia, and we, you know, which is a tough market um, for the, for many of these companies. But we do think, and we're starting to see some very early success, particularly in mainland China. So you know, when I think about a couple of years from now, I think it's a materially 
different business that's much larger. And I think at its core, though, we'll continue to do the same kind of innovative, inventive work that that we've been doing now for you know almost a quarter century. Great. Thank you so much. This is My this pleasure. is exactly yeah. what I was hoping for from this conversation. I, I it was funny when Amanda and I were were at the suite at New York Comic Con. Like we we looked at each other and we're like, yeah, this this is a conversation we, we want to have on the show. We got Absolutely. it. And we don't well, do a ton of interviews anymore. Right, like yeah. we used to do them fairly regularly, but um, we're really trying to stay focused on topics that are that are translatable, sure. that are timely, and and this is very. Trend Everyone oriented. loves a good rebrand story. It's true. It's well, absolutely true. Again, I'm, I was really excited to do it. I appreciate you taking the time and your interest. You know, I've had a had a blast speaking with you both. I listen, so I'm a fan as well. So oh, appreciate, thank you. That's awesome. Appreciate uh, you. the work that you're doing. Yeah. Um, and maybe who knows? Maybe we can come back and there's a chapter two to this once we've been out for a while with the new brand, and we'll see kind of how things turn out. But so far, we're feeling pretty good. I love it, Amanda. Take us home. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening to the Virtual Economy Podcast. We still have our Twitter accounts, mostly, but you'll notice that we've drastically reduced our presence there as we, you know, we try to figure out where we're going next. Is it LinkedIn? Apparently LinkedIn is Twitter, <laughs> but for professionals now, who knows? Who knows where we'll be? But hey, if you want to get good at performative follow, inspiration. It's like it's performance art of a different kind. <laughs> I don't I don't even know. I'll just put Anyway, you can follow me on Instagram. That's where I'm most active. So I, on Instagram, I'm Ready Player Mama. But if you want to follow the podcast on Twitter, we're going to keep updating there. We're going to push out the show every time that we have a new show, which is probably still going to be on a weekly, every two weeks. We don't really know what things are what things are going to look like, but you know we're still going to be around. So yep. you can uh, follow us at Virtual Econcast if you really want to follow me on Twitter. Then, you know, I'm at Amanda Farrow. And I'm at Footerish, F-U-T-T-E-R-I-S-H. Brad, where can people find you and PDP online? Sure, on all the socials, at PDP Gaming. And certainly would encourage everyone to check out our new website and see how we're doing. Great. Right uh, for, for our listeners, if you're coming to us for the first time, welcome. If you are have dabbled in the land of virtual economy and you want to make us a regular thing, you can subscribe to our RSS feed at virtualeconcast.com. You can also listen to us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Amazon, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, and pretty much every podcast service known to man. I've been meticulous. You have been. Uh, we would love it if you subscribe. And if possible, review the show. Let us know what you think. And more than anything, we love questions. So if you have questions for us, even questions about conversations that we've had with guests, let us know. You can DM us on Twitter. You can send them to podcast at fsquared.biz. You can come and hang out with us on our Discord, which is basically just D&D, Warhammer, and yelling about Need for Speed right I, now. I, know, I do notice that it's about to shift into God of War Ragnarok territory. It's about to. We're about someone, to get someone there. Someone broke the seal already. To, I'm going to have to resurrect the spoiler channel. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> Long live the spoiler channel. The spoilies channel. Um, but yeah, thank you for hanging out. And Brad, thank you so much for, for this conversation. This has been genuinely lovely. My and I, do, or, I do hope we do part two of this because I am I'm very eager to to yeah, hear from to you hear. down the road about what your learnings are. Great, great meeting you both. Thanks again for the time. Yeah, thank you so much. So, Brad, thank you so much. And for everybody else, we will see you soon. Remember to wash your hands, stay hydrated, and be good to one another. See you soon.